0: Well, amen, folks. Are you ready to talk a little bit about love for the seventh week in, in a row? Uh, I'm Jeff, I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege to be able to, to just spend this time with you this morning sharing from, from God's word. And so if you haven't opened your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, by all means, if you would do that, that would be great. So we're in, like I said, week seven of our series from Paul's famous love chapter here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, a chapter that's often quoted at weddings and and different things like that. And as I've said in the past, it's, it's a passage of scripture that is central to how we actually understand God and how we go about living out our faith. Yet, sometimes these passages can become so familiar to us that we kind of lose its impact. We sort of graze past it. Yeah, 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 I, I know that. I know, thanks, Paul, I appreciate it. Read it a million times, I, I get it. But this passage is so fundamentally important to the Christian life, to understanding the nature of who God is and how important love is in all of our lives. This chapter, as I've said Before It it sits smushed in between uh, Paul's teachings uh, on spiritual gifts and how the body should function, and then his teachings on supernatural functions of things like tongues and prophecies. And so it's really interesting of why Paul is smushing this love chapter in between those two topics. And so don't miss that. Don't miss that as you're reading it. I've told Evergreen for years now. Uh, Read what's above, read what's below, read the whole book, read the whole Bible. That's the simplest way to learn and to understand how to interpret and use scripture and let the Holy Spirit speak to you in the midst of that. Because Paul knows that without love, none of his instructions, none of his corrections, none of the things that he's teaching the Corinthian church in this moment will become a reality in that church if they don't have love. So let's take a quick look, a quick kind of summary so far at what we've learned. In chapter 12, Paul ends the chapter by saying this. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. This is chapter 12, verse 31. But now let me show you a way of life that is the best of all. Right after he teaches about the importance and the functions of the gifts of the Spirit and how these gifts function together to form one body with Christ at the head, it's beautiful, right? Paul says, but now, but now let me show you a way of life that's best of all. Like, I, I don't know about you folks, but... That statement in itself really grabs my interest, right? When scripture says, here, I've taught on all these powerful, amazing things. I've been walking you through all of these amazing things that the church in Corinth is living out, good and bad. But those aren't actually the things that make uh, the best of your life. And so I want to tell you, I want to show you a way of life that is best of all. he just just finished talking about all these amazing ways. And yet this one line says, but now, open your ears, I'm about to teach you what life is actually all about. Instead of all that stuff, which is great, he says, let me actually tell you the best way to live. Doesn't that jump out at you? Doesn't that make you go, okay, now I'm interested. Now I wanna know. I I wanna see why we've done seven weeks in this section of scripture. And so now Paul launches into chapter uh, 13 and he says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, so he's just talked about that, right? He says, but didn't love others. I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Do any of our kids play the drums? No offense, John. Or or, uh, lubbers, right? Parents, you know, anybody that has kids that play the drums, like you're like, I want to go buy an electric kit so they can put headphones on, right? Because as they're learning, it can be kind of painful, right? Any kids play like the clarinet in school and high school or anything like that? Like it can be painful. It can be like a noisy gong. It's It's not beautiful to the ears. It's annoying. But you want to be supportive, right? But it's annoying. This is what Paul's talking about. He says, if I had the gift of prophecy, which in the Corinthian church especially, they're like, whoa, like anybody with the gift of prophecy, you're something. So if I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans, could you imagine? Paul doesn't understand all of God's secret plans. But if I could understand all of God's secret plans and possess all knowledge and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I give everything I have to the poor and even sacrifice my body, I could boast about it, but I didn't love others, I would have gained Nothing. Do you see the corrective that's happening here? They're putting all their focus on these gifts and the body parts and how the church functions in those spiritual gifts. And Paul's saying all of that is great if it's functioning in love. Because if you don't have love, you're nothing but annoying. (laughs) To Paul, the ultimate way to find joy and life here on this messed up planet that we call earth is really simple. It's not complex to Paul at all. A life of love. A life of love because if, if we can't figure out how to live in love, how to receive God's love and let that love pour out onto others, really we've missed the point of everything Paul has been talking about. And Paul would actually say, you've missed the point of what the entire gospel proclaims. Think about that for a minute. If we miss this concept of love in our lives, in our churches, as Christians, according to Paul, we're missing the central thrust, the central point of the gospel message. And I wonder if that's why the gospel just doesn't seem to be like good news in our churches anymore. Because we've lost love, the overflowing grace that God offers to us. You see, God wants to give us gifts. He wants to empower us to, to live our lives in his presence. If you read the Old Testament, God's presence is everything, right? The Israelites are petrified to lose God's presence. Moses says to God, like, I'm not going there without you, God. I can't do this without your presence in my life. And God wants to give us his presence. He wants to empower us to live in his presence. But most of all, folks, he wants us to be loved and to learn to love others. The Corinthian church needed to hear this from Paul. And I think the North American church needs to hear this from Paul You see, the Corinthian church had gotten focused on all the wrong things. And these wrong things that they got focused on, these things that they were propping up as more important, it was causing them to drift away from Jesus being the center of who they were as a church. Again, I think this happens. I see this happening in our culture today where Jesus is no longer at the center. He's kind of up over here in our lives, and we sort of reach out to him when it's convenient, but we don't live central with him. It's central in our lives. He wants us to be loved and to love others. This is why Paul gives this correction. This is why he teaches that learning to love is central, folks, to our discipleship. If you wanna be a disciple of Christ, you need to be a disciple of love. It's not about which gifts you have or how close you appear to be to God. We get a little caught up in that, don't we? You know, I want to look like, I want to pray like I'm close to God. I, I remember being petrified as a, as a young Christian, uh, being like, I can't, I can't go to small group because what if they ask me to pray? Like somebody might judge my crappy prayer. And so we're hesitant to pray out loud. We're hesitant to express our faith because we're like, what if I don't look spiritual enough? But none of that is what, is central to the Christian faith. It's not about how well you pray. It's about whether you do pray. What shows that you're living the life that God wants for each of us, Paul says, is how you love. And it's God who teaches us what that actually looks like. So, so Paul draws from the scriptures to point the Corinthians back in the right direction. That's what's happening here, folks. He's correcting them. They've gone in, into a path that is outside of love and he's shifting them back w- into the right direction of love. He wants to refocus them so that they don't continue away from being his disciples. You see, sitting in a chair observing isn't being a disciple. Being a disciple is a verb. It's an active thing. It's becoming more and more like Christ each and every day. And so Paul is guiding this church to do this by explaining love. And he first uses two attributes of love. And then he shifts gears into what love is not. And then he shifts back into what love is again. But it's all action-based. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses four to six, this is where we've been digging into the past few weeks. He says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It it does not demand its own way. That that sermon uh, that I preached on that, I highly recommend you go back and listen to that. Love doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable and it keeps... No records of wrong. Love's not bitter, folks. Love doesn't wallow in things. It keeps no records of wrong. Love is forgiving. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. You see, a loving Christian, a loving God, cannot stand injustice and just wants to do something about it. Now, this explanation of love, specifically drawn from the Corinthian experience. So if we read it in the context of the book, it's drawn specifically from their experience. And so there's more to love than just this passage. But Paul's using this as he's pointing out things that they're doing and they're not doing and saying, that's love, that's not love. But it all applies to the aspects of what a loving life looks like, and what God's love does and doesn't look like for each of us as well. I find that incredibly helpful when you read a passage like this, where it's describing not just how we should be loving, but the source of where that love comes from. And so in this passage, we have to then also read the, New Te- the Old Testament sorry, through that lens. And so if your interpretations of the Old Testament don't match with what Paul is talking about of these attributes of love, what love is and what love isn't, then you probably should go back to the drawing board a little bit. This disposition that that Paul wants us to become, it's it's not actually possible under human power. It's not possible for us to conjure up in ourselves. We can't just try harder to be more patient. You ever, I get impatient with me trying to be patient, right? Like you ever try, oh, I'm gonna try to be more patient. I'm gonna try to, right? I'm gonna try to be more kind. I'm gonna try to be more mindful. I'm gonna work harder at this. That's what we as Christians often do, right? We were, the pastor says, hey, you should read scripture. We're like, yeah, I gotta try harder. I gotta work harder. And we, we set ourselves up to fail. Because what motivates this, what brings this out in us is not something that can be done through human power. It's something that can only be lived out through the transforming power of Jesus Christ living in us through the power and presence of his Holy Spirit. You see, God didn't give us a spirit to just like flip a switch on and off. He gave us His spirit so that we lived with Christ in us so that we could begin to discern what his scriptures say together in community. You see, the closer that we are to God, the closer we will live this love out in our lives but I think we're a little misguided on what we think closeness to God actually is. We're all like the Corinthian church. Like if we were really to own this, right? We we are all like the Corinthian church in one way or another, aren't we? We're all at times, we all at times live this well and at times we struggle to be loving, to be kind, to be patient with others. That's actually part of the beauty of this passage. Paul is describing for us what a truly spirit-filled life looks like. This passage, folks, is a good way to gauge where you're at with Jesus. And it's, it's a great reminder that none of us have arrived. I, I want to stress that. Like, none of us have arrived. If your mindset is it's like, yeah, the person beside me could really, like, learn something from this. You know, unless it's your spouse, you're probably wrong. You need to learn something from it. Did you catch that? That wasn't in my notes. Can you tell? Anyway. It's a good way to gauge like where we're at with Jesus. Because none of us folks have found the corner market on living in the ways of Christ. Nobody has. I don't care how long you've sat in a pew. I don't care how long you've sat in church, how long you've been a Christian, how much you're reading the Bible or not reading the Bible. The reality is, is not one of us through human power has the ability to love like Paul is teaching us to love. We need God, we need to experience God and we need that experience to flow out from us. The proof of this is in today's passage. Paul shifts back into what love does, in, in, into what love looks like and its challenge in how we live it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse seven. He says, love never gives up. Love never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Now, now, right away, what jumps out to me is Paul's use of two words that really bother me. The two words never and always. You notice that? Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful. He doesn't leave space for the word sometimes, right? He doesn't leave any space for that. And I'm like, Paul, come on. How could you possibly be calling us to live this? That's what's so challenging about this passage, isn't it? Love never gives up, he says. Think about that. In order to be loving, Paul says that we never give up, that we never lose faith, I don't know about you, but it's kind of confession time right now. I'm pretty confident that I have given up or lost faith in someone or something at some point in my life. According to Paul, that means by giving up, I was not living in love. He doesn't leave space here, folks. It's interesting This passage is challenging. If we take the approach of striving toward it or trying harder, this passage is impossible to live out. But if we see it as the work of God in us, it changes how we read the passage. It radically shifts, folks, how you read this. Uh, Let let me unpack that for you a bit. Paul uses a pattern here. I'm gonna get all kind of seminary on. Actually, this is just basic English. He uses the ABBA pattern, A-B-B-A right? So he's writing in a very specific literature, uh, style of literature, and he uses this pattern, A B B B A A B B A. I think I almost added a B, B, B. The first line never gives up, or as some versions put it, bears. And the last point, love endures, are directly connected. That's your A and your A. And then we've got this BB in the middle. So love bears and endures. These two things are essentially the same. You see, Paul knows the reality of life. He knows how difficult things can be. And he says, even in the midst of these difficult human experiences, God never gives up on us. Notice he says, never. In this moment, I'm really happy he's saying never. Doesn't it shift how you read the passage? God never gives up on humans when they're going through difficult times. He endures every circumstance with us because God is love. God isn't just loving. Folks, you have a bad theology if you're like, yeah, God's loving. God's loving. God loves me. No, no, no. God is not just loving. He is literally the definition of love. God is love, the scriptures tell us. That's very different than just God is loving. He's a nice guy. And when you realize that God is present, so there's where the presence connects here, with you always. So it's not like, sometimes I get, my theological brain sometimes gets super annoyed when we pray, because I'm like, we're like inviting the Holy Spirit in, and I'm like, what what are you talking about? He's already here. He's already here. You could, I guess we're inviting you in. I think what we're saying when we invite the Holy Spirit in is we're saying, I'm a disaster and I need you to fix me. And so I'm going to start to listen. Because God is omnipresent. He's with us always. He is literally living in those who believe. So it just kind of irks my theological mind. I don't say anything. You know, I'm not like, stop praying. That was heresy. But it is. God is present with us always. The curtain ripped. And his presence came out of the holy of holies and now dwells with us. He's not floating in a cloud following us through the wilderness. He's literally living in us. And he never gives up on you. And he's walking with you through all the pain and suffering that human beings endure. When you realize this, you can't help but live in that reality with others. You see, God's love for us is what creates our love for others. We can't create this. We don't have it in us. God creates it by first loving us. Then, once you've experienced his love, once you've experienced God's love, you'll naturally never lose faith and live a life full of hope. That doesn't mean you don't doubt. That doesn't mean we don't struggle. We're human, right? You see, these two inner parts, the BB section, they're, that part of the passage is describing the character qualities that actually emerge from us receiving God's love in our lives, specifically during our struggles. You see, folks, we have a choice. We can live life away from God or we can live life with God at the center. And there's really no sometimes. That's literally the choice that we have. Either God is at the center of our lives or he's not. In other words, according to Paul, you can live in God's love or you can keep trying to find love in other places. Now that's the human condition, isn't it? We can receive and live our lives in God's love or we can continue to try to find love in other places. But the only way to be truly loved is to find the source of love itself, which according to scripture is God. Famous passage. Again, we're all familiar and we graze right by it. It's a passage that should make us jump out of our chairs, do cartwheels, backflips, all kinds of crazy stuff, and not even be a charismatic church. Because this passage means so much, but because we read it so often and we quote it and we see it on signs and we do, it just grazes past us and it's a shame. Because John 3.16 says, for this is how God loved the world. That grabs my attention. How does God go about loving the world? He gave. Love is about giving, right? He gave what? His one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Now you can start flipping out. I'm I'm waiting, Okay, we're going to be here a while. Let that sink in for a second. Parents, you ready to give up your son? Or your daughter? Or someone you care about? For somebody you barely know? Because that's what this passage is saying. God The way that he loved the world gave us the ultimate sacrifice. God knows suffering more than we will ever suffer. And this passage gives us that exact picture. God shows his love to the world by giving up something, by sacrificing something. In the midst of sacrifice and suffering, that's where love is found. That love is expressed and that love is what can be received. I get concerned in the Christian church today because we seem so fearful of suffering. We seem so frustrated with God when suffering happens and I get that but actually it's in the midst of our suffering that God's presence is so glaringly obvious. And it's where we can receive his love and live in his love and rest in his love. This is what Paul is trying to say to the church in Corinth. It's not about you. It's not about how spiritual you look. It's not about how much you think you have the corner market on God or on theology or any of these things on the gifts of the spirit and how the body functions or what you think church should be. That is not what love is actually about. You see, you can't manufacture love by appearing more spiritual, by gaining powers over others, by being the coolest church in town. The only way you're ever going to learn to be loving Is by living through things that help you to find the love of God. And often, folks, in the lens of the Bible, that's through suffering. When you read the Bible, if you actually read it, don't don't like pluck it, don't just like read a passage and build some theology off of one passage. Like read the whole thing. And when you read the whole thing, this is what we see difficult moments for human beings and God coming in to be part of those difficult moments, to walk us through the valley. Remember the the sermon series we did on Habakkuk? Coming out of the valley, but at times we have to live there, but God will bring us out to the other side. Folks, this is our opportunity, often in the midst of suffering, to find God's love, to look for God's comfort, because once you've found love and you realize that you can't do it all on your own, that's kind of the key to finding love, is letting go of control. Once you realize that you need God at the center of your life, see, this is the problem. We struggle with love because we don't think we actually need God. We, we know it in concept. We know it cognitively. Yeah, okay, I need God, I need God. But I'm not gonna function like I need God at all. Instead, I'm gonna function like I got all this figured out. We need to drop our competencies and just rest at the foot of the cross. That's where you find love. But the second you go back to thinking that you've got all of it figured out, folks, we'll miss it. And that's part of the human condition, that's part of who we are. But Paul is painting a picture for us that this passage, in this passage, about what it looks like to experience God's love. God is always patient and kind with us. Sometimes that doesn't seem like it, does it? He never gives up on us. He never loses faith in us, and he always has hope for our future. But he knows that we will struggle, and so he struggles alongside us, enduring every circumstance. God knows pain and suffering better than we ever will because he gave up something for us that none of us would be willing to give up. So when Paul describes love as the best life of all, what he's doing is, is he's pointing us to the Father and he's saying, put him at the center of everything. You can't read this love passage as something that you need to work on harder or something you could ever possibly achieve on your own. You're totally gonna miss it. You're totally gonna fail at it and you will lose hope because love comes from the source of the one who is love. So for each of us to live a life of love, our life must be deeply connected to the love of Jesus first. It's that connection that produces the kind of love that Paul describes in this passage. God's love sticks with us through everything. It never gives up on us, and it's the kind of love that he empowers us to extend to others. Imagine, folks, if we lived our lives with Jesus as the source of our life. Imagine, folks, if we gave up our power, if we gave up our need to be the center of attention and instead just lived in humility under the power of God's sacrificial love, what things would look like. God loves us so much that he wants us to know him. He wants us to be with him, to live our lives through him. If we take him up on this offer, which I strongly encourage you to, Paul says you'll find the best life of all. He doesn't say the simplest life. He doesn't say a life without suffering and pain. But he says that joy that I talk about in the scriptures, Paul talks a lot about joy, finding joy in the midst of our suffering, that's the best life of all. A life living under the love of God, that then has that love overflow to the world. I'm gonna ask Pastor Tamil to join us up here to walk us through some reflection.